0: Listener production. Did you know that women in midlife are the only demographic where alcohol consumption is going up? Pair this with Australia being identified as the booziest nation in the world. It tells us that many of us are struggling with our relationship with alcohol than ever before. So my big question this week, it's around drinking. And I'm joined by media personality, Maz Compton, who is an amazing woman. She is going to be answering the question, how do I know if I need a break from alcohol? Maz, it is so lovely to see you. Jessica Rowe, I adore and love you. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, right back at you. Now, you've been sober since 2015. You host Last Drinks, the podcast. You've also written a fantastic book that I have just finished. And I really recommend it to anyone who's having, questioning their relationship with alcohol. And I want to know, first of all, when did you decide it was time to stop drinking?
1: Yeah. So in 2014, Jess, my life looked really epic on paper. Um, I was hosting the National Drive show on the radio. So really ticking some career goals. I'd met my dreamy future husband that year. I was earning money. I had loads of shoes, like anything a gal could want. But I was drinking every single day and I wasn't drinking every single day consciously in the sense that I didn't realise I was doing it until I kind of got through a few weeks and I was like, hang on a second, I think I've had a bottle of wine every day. And it was stuff like, oh, but I had that event to go to or I had to host an extra little bit of a thing or my friend had a birthday party and then there was a barbecue the next day. So when I realised that I was drinking All the time, I started asking myself questions like, well, could I go to my friend's party and not drink? And the answer I came up with was no. I didn't feel like I could exist in my life that I was loving, that I created for myself with all of my talent and choices. And from the outside, the
0: thing is, your life was amazing. It was amazing. It was shiny and wonderful, and everything that you'd ever hoped for, you worked so hard to have you were having on the outside.
1: That's right. But there was this undertone of alcohol at everything. And it wasn't leaving Las Vegas. And this is, I think, something that I really want to just bust the stigma on, is that you don't need to reassess your relationship with alcohol when you hit rock bottom. You don't need to wait for a catastrophic event or for somebody to pull you up and have a family intervention if you can ask yourself a question, which is, am I comfortable with my relationship with alcohol? And the answer is, well, probably not. Then that's when you need to maybe have a reframe. So firstly, it's about assessing. And the assessment bit comes down to, am I good with how I'm going? Like, Am I showing up for everybody the best way that I can? Or am I using alcohol as a multi-tool of coping with some of the big life stuff that I'm actually not dealing with properly. It's very layered sobriety. That would be that first layer of just that sober curiosity. Am I okay? Am I drinking too much? When I do drink, am I going a bit too far? And if the answers around those things are like, yeah, not feeling super comfortable, drinking a little bit too much and a little bit too often, then you can tap into, you know, looking at reframing your
0: relationship. That term sober curiosity, I think is a great one. Mm. To me, it's positive. It's reframing the question around, oh my God, am I an alcoholic? Exactly. Because that's scary for people. And and also you think, oh no, 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 I'm not. I don't want to go down that path. But well,
1: that's exactly what happened to me, Jess. So in that year where, you know, life was great on paper and doing all the things and I think drinking just to cope with the bigness of it all, I actually Googled, am I an alcoholic? And it was not a helpful Google search at all. And what was so confusing for me is when I read, I guess, the medical definition of alcoholic, that wasn't me. That wasn't my story. So then I was like, well, what am I?
0: And often that can be an excuse to go, well, well I don't, I don't fit
1: that definition, so I can keep doing what I'm doing. Exactly. And so for me, I, I think it was more, I talk about it like a line in the sand. It was like, I just decided that maybe to get a different result, I needed to change my behaviour and I was drinking all of the time. So maybe if I stopped drinking for a little bit, I could see what sobriety looked like for me. And that's what I encourage people to do. Rather than doing this thing where we like deprive ourselves of alcohol and white knuckle it for a whole month of our lives and sit in our homes with our Ugg boots and just wish the month away because we're not drinking. My encouragement is Go on a journey of exploration of what sobriety looks like for you. See what four weeks of your life without alcohol can look like and you might like it because I did because I stopped drinking on the 1st of January 2015 and I have not had a drink since that day but it's been a progressive revelation of sobriety. So, Were you
0: frightened? Were you scared when terrified. you decided to stop?
1: Terrified the overwhelming fear for me was, what are people going to say? What are they going to think? And at that time, eight and a half years ago, these conversations weren't really prevalent in mainstream media. So that fear, I think, was exacerbated by honestly looking down the barrel of it and going, can I even do this? I think people expecting me to fail So this idea of like, oh, well, Maz is going sober but then, of course, you know, she'll rip the Band-Aid off at some point and then come back around to how we all sort of do things. so
0: And you'd been the party girl. I mean, I think in the sense of you had begun your career as the face of MTV. Yes. You were interviewing rock stars. You're on the red carpet. Then you're hosting Breakfast Radio. You had this amazing career and part of that was the kind of party Let's have a fun time and I'm always here for a good time.
1: Absolutely. And the idea of existing in my media role without alcohol was terrifying because I'm like, what if I'm not fun? (laughs) And
0: what did you find? What did you find though, Maz?
1: (laughs) That month, so January 2015 was a really big month for me. In the month prior, I'd relocated from Melbourne to Sydney. I'd taken a new job in Sydney Radio. I was doing the breakfast show that... I had really spent most of my career working towards manifesting. So tick, tick, tick. And the fact that I decided to be sober was really telling because I think the motivation to get over that fear really and truly came down to I don't want to stuff this up. And if I keep drinking at the rate that I am, I can see it going down a road that's not sustainable, especially doing breakfast radio. So I think the timing of it all was quite amazing. And what I found in that first month, Jess, was my sugar cravings went through the entire roof and the floor above me because I was living in an apartment at the time. And I had a lot of time on my hands. So I did some journaling, I did some crying, I had some big emotions. Um, But what I learned sort of over that month, and I talk about this in my book, like my circadian rhythm normalized. So where I had been running on caffeine and adrenaline and imposter syndrome and alcohol, like that whole combination, that mix, when I took out the alcohol, everything seemed to level out. And I felt like I had some breathing space and I had some more time on my hands to actually care for myself. So my self-compassion by the end of those few weeks and in turn months really was something very new that I discovered about myself.
0: And a couple of things there that strike a chord, I think, about imposter syndrome. That impacts so many of us, especially mm. women. that yeah. We always have a sense of, oh, what, what if... They uncover who I really Really am. am. (laughs) We all have that. And then also that lack of self-compassion and self-care. Again, as women, I mean, I'm going to generalise, but I think it's the case, we look after everyone around us. We want to make sure everyone is okay and we forget about ourselves and we don't speak to ourselves in a kind way. And a lot of when we think about what we're doing wrong, Mm. Shame is involved. And I think for a lot of people with drinking, there is that shame component too.
1: Yeah. And what's really interesting about what you've just said, Jess, is that as women, I think we just don't even put ourselves on the list at times. Like there's a list of people that we need to show up for and we don't put ourselves on the list. And then what we do is we get to the end of the day and we go, well, I deserve a drink. And what we do when we do that is that is not the reward. That's not self-care. That's not self-care, even though it feels like alcohol is such a liar because it tells us this story that we deserve it. It tells us a story that it's going to help us relax. It's going to help us take the pressure off. It's going to let you let your hair down. And what I found is that all of the things that alcohol promises, I found in sobriety and so sobriety actually is the greatest act of self-care you can do, even though it feels really scary at first. And I don't want to pretend that it wasn't difficult because it was hard. It is hard, but eventually it becomes the new normal. Like anything that you're learning, it's a skill and, and I'm really, I'm an expert at it now because I've had eight and a half years in the seat of sobriety, but you've got to practice it. Like how we practice those rituals of socialising with alcohol you can and this is what the book is about too is empowering people to like try it try socialising without alcohol and then learn that skill and then that's something that you can take into a social situation with you and not feel so completely weird and uncomfortable
0: What I want to do now is that there'd be people listening who might be thinking, yes, (laughs) what you're saying might be amplifying that whisper that Mm. they have within themselves, the questioning and thinking, do I need a break from alcohol? What are some simple ways that you could say, tap into this, or maybe if you're feeling like this, Mm. have that break?
1: So the big one for me is the, I call them the invisible boundaries. So if you talk about your relationship with alcohol and you use this kind of terminology where you go, I had a big weekend, but I wasn't as wasted as that person. So comparing your behavior to somebody else, or if you do things like you underplay the amount that you're drinking. So you might say somebody might see you on Monday and go, oh, gee, you had a good weekend. You're like, yeah, but I only had three champagnes. And we know that that's code for a bottle. So if you have to start sort of rejigging the truth a bit on what how much alcohol you're consuming, or you're comparing your behaviour, defending and justifying your behaviour compared to somebody else who was behaving a little more out of control than you, those I think are invisible boundaries. That doesn't mean that you don't have a reassessment that you might want to get to. Does that make
0: sense? It does. It does. Those sorts of, I suppose, lies, as you say, that we tell ourselves or justifications to explain behaviour that if we really listen to Mm. our heart or our intuition, it's saying, you know what? You need to look a little more closely at this.
1: Yeah, the red flags, you know. And I think also if you are hanging out for a wine at four o'clock every day, that might be an indication that you're hanging out for something that's going to change the neurotransmitters in your brain. It's going to augment your reality. So you're not going to deal with some stuff that's on your very full plate. And so, um, like I said, you know, alcohol is this big dirty liar. And I think any of those things are showing up for people. That is definitely a place where you can then go, okay, a reassessment's on the cards. Now, when it comes to the reassessment, I know some people will go, what if I just cut back? What if I just drink on the weekends? What if I just try and moderate? So what I tell people to do is tell me about your relationship with alcohol like it's a person. And if you can personify alcohol, then all of a sudden we're having a different conversation. So let's say it's Jerry. And if I was to explain my relationship with alcohol to you, like it was a person in 2014, this is how it would sound. Uh, I hang out with Jerry every day, but every time I hang out with Jerry, I feel like utter crap. Um, Jerry makes me feel ill. Jerry makes me wake up at three am with anxiety, and all of a sudden, you, you start going. It's toxic.
0: It's a toxic person, relationship, isn't this it? Person
1: is no good for you. You should have a break. You wouldn't say to me why don't you just hang out with Jerry on the weekends and see how that goes for you? So I think it's a really powerful tool that I get people to do in the book. But when you personify your relationship with alcohol and give it um, a personality, then it's an easier thing to take a break from. So then you've got full permission to go, well, this is toxic. I'm going to have a complete break for a month or two or three or whatever it's like. And then I'm going to come back to that relationship and see if it's something I want to continue down the road with or if I want to cut it out of my life forever, which you would do with a toxic person or a relationship that's having, you know, a profoundly negative impact on your life.
0: And these are, I think, very practical, doable steps for people. What about, though, because alcohol is so a part of our lives, Mm. of celebrations, of if you're sad, if, you know, you're getting together, marking whatever occasion... And there is that issue of people saying, oh, why aren't you drinking? Or Mm. what are some things? Because a lot of people gave you a hard time at the beginning,
1: didn't they? So not
0: helpful. No.
1: So my biggest bit of advice is to equip yourself with a really articulate, sober response. And this is something that I wish I had figured out in my early sobriety because what I did, Jess, if somebody in those first few months that I wasn't drinking, if somebody offered me a drink, I would first of all apologise. I would go, I'm sorry, I'm not drinking. And then I would say, oh, but I'm just having a bit of time off, but it's not that I had a big problem or anything, but, like, it was kind of getting, like, if I had kept going that way, would, and I You're just... over Like, verbal vomited at these <laughs> poor people, and all they wanted to do was buy me a drink. Again, it was part of the justification of, like, I'm okay, guys, but I'm not drinking. So I tell people... Figure out like a one-sentence mic drop, right? So figure out, it could just be as simple as, hey, I'm not drinking for health reasons. And then stop stop talking. And then hopefully, usually what will happen, if you just do the one-sentence response, the person on the receiving end will go, okay, well, I'll go and get you a water. And you go, thank you very much. Can you put some fresh lime in it? And it just diverts the conversation away from all the questions that you might not be ready to answer yet. And my biggest tip is please don't apologise for your sobriety. You do not owe anybody an apology for making a really great health choice and having some time away from alcohol.
0: You've said in your fabulous book, Last Drinks, that sobriety has become your superpower.
1: (laughs) What does that mean? I just think I've stumbled on something. It feels like a bit of a flex when... People are like, oh, you don't drink. I'm like, no, I don't. And my life's really great. And I look good and I feel healthy. It doesn't mean that my life is perfect. It does not mean that my child is an angel. He's a nightmare. But all kids are all nightmares. Kids are night- and so I think sometimes people think, oh, I'll get sober and that will fix all my problems. I'll get sober and that will make my family dynamic somehow more manageable. I don't think it does that. But what sobriety does is it gives you a clear head and the capacity to do life really, really well. And that's why I think it's a superpower because there's been some really big stuff happen, especially in my last 18 months, but being sober has meant i have dealt with it instead of just trying to cope or I've, numb numb or yourself numb it or run away and escape from it i've really come at it um with a clear head and with an intention of i'm going to see this through and i'm going to do it well
0: well maz you are a superhero Thank you, you really much, are yes. this beautiful book that you've written you open yourself up in the most vulnerable extraordinary way that helps so many of us. So I thank thank you. you for that. And what I love too about your book is that it's practical. You go through those first 30 days, what you can do, these particular tasks that you could set yourself to get through each day. And I think all of us need that. And you're just a darling. So thank you. Thank you. You're amazing. And I really appreciate this. So thank you very much. Isn't there so much to think about in that chat with Maz. I know it's made me think about doing some things differently in my life. Let me know what you think about it. Send me a DM, hop into my Instagram because you know how much I love to hear from you. It really means so much to Nick, my wonderful leopard lady producer and I to know the impact that our podcasts are having on you because you know what? They have a big impact on us. We learn something every record. Mazza's latest book, Last Drinks, How to Drink Less and Be Your Best, is a personal and very practical guide to sobriety, offering advice, tips, and inspiration if you're looking to redefine your relationship with alcohol and improve your health, relationships, and quality of life. And you know what I love about the book? It's not preachy, it's not judgmental, but it does make you think and give you some really good, useful tools to shift the way you think. So don't be afraid, consider it and have a go. Now, I'll be back next week with another beautiful, big conversation with one of my guests. And if you love this chat with Maz, I reckon you will love my chat with Keith Urban. What do they say? The the most
1: important thing is um, carrying the message uh, even using words if necessary. I think that's the point of it. I love that they said to Gandhi, what's the message of your life? And he says, my life is my message. And I think that's, that's really more what it is. It's um, just
0: live it. You don't need to talk about it. You just just live it. The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show is hosted by me, Jess Rowe. Executive producer, Nick McClure. She's a wonderful leopard lady. Audio imager, Nat Marshall. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanaugh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter.